Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. For 40 years now, I've worked as a journalist. To survive in that world, you can't believe everything you're told. You've got to check your story, sometimes in this day and age, especially double check, triple check. So as one who lives in the midst of the, let's say, diverse, sometimes polar opposite worlds of journalism and Christian faith, I felt bound to do one thing, to investigate at some considerable depth the credibility and reliability of the Bible. If this is the kind of textbook for this faith, the so-called book of life, well, as a journo, I have to be convinced that it's real, it's right. I mean, if it's not, what's left of this faith? It's one of the issues taken on head-on in the Towards Belief program produced by Olive Tree Media. We're now in the midst of a series of conversations with Carl Fays about the big so-called blockers to Christian faith that Towards Belief tackles. Issues like the credibility, the reliability of the Bible. Carl, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here with you again, Lee. Great to see you. Carl, in your research, this is a big blocker, a big barrier for people about the Christian faith. What do people say? Look, I, the, the thing about the Bible, they struggle on two levels. Uh, one is just the whole supernatural. Now, that's a that's a, a, an area we looked at last week. Yes. But because the Bible holds so much supernatural information, as John Dixon uh, says in the series that we'll hear from John later, but John Dixon says in the series in a different point where he says, you know, if if, if what was said about Jesus was that he went around singing his sermons, no one would ask, no one would kind of question the historicity of the Bible because, you know, but he obviously didn't sing his sermons. <laughs> but, but when you talk about the, the miraculous and the supernatural, it's almost that we want to change the standard of evidence because we struggle to believe something that sits outside our worldview. That's an interesting. So point. I think that's the piece that, that in, in this as well. I think the second thing about the Bible is that it's just not your average novel or your average book of history, um, uh, or your average book of, of kind of science or philosophy. It's, it's, it's a combination of books, of writings, of style. And certainly Old Testament, which was written, you know, potentially three to 4,000 years ago in, in such different culture, so much of what's talked about is so, so distant from where people are. They'll start to read it and they'll hit some passages and they're like, "Oh, this is this is crazy. I can't read this. Yeah. You know, this is this is so unrelated to where I'm at." And, and so you got those problems. If I can say, if I can, without going on too long, Lee, I think the third area is it also confronts current values. And so you you don't read it kind of so it just kind of makes you feel feel good. It actually tends to challenge you. And so reading something that constantly challenges your values and your thinking is, is not a comfortable experience. Mind you, that's not a bad thing. Well, I think it, it, I think it should happen. Yeah, yeah. And the more yeah. it happens, the better off we all are. Yeah. But the problem is that in that process, uh, you, we tend to kind of push it aside. But it is a fair enough question to ask. Is this credible? Is this authentic? Well, I think it's, I think it's at the heart of faith. You know, and I think it's at the heart of faith, Lee, because uh, quoting a couple of other people, this is not my quote, it's somebody else's quote that said the bio the gospel the message of jesus which is the heart the kind of soul of the christian message the message of jesus is not good advice it's good news hmm. and what is news and news is something that actually happened and so what what we hold to is not here's a philosophical position that if you follow these ideas you'll be a better person. So history doesn't really matter in that. It's just just a person's ideas, and we live out those ideas. We don't, we don't say that. We say, actually, no, 
these, as Luke says, as he writes his his account of Jesus, um, I, I'm writing an orderly account so that you may know what happened. John says the same thing at his in his account of Jesus, um, and and both of these writers are saying, we want you to know what actually happened. Gospel is a word that means news, good news, and I, and that 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 becomes critical here because it's not like I, I've got this idea versus your idea. When and who wrote it doesn't really matter a great deal. It's just an idea. Um, uh, several other faiths, like the Hindu faith, has 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 kind of stories, but everybody knows it's myth. Like everybody completely accepts it's myth. It's it's myth. The Bible doesn't say that what we hold to or what Christians don't hold to is not is not myth. It, it, what we're holding to is something we believe happened. So therefore, the veracity of what's written down is crucial. Here's a simple, though large question. Why does this matter then? It matters because if we believe that Jesus is God incarnate, in other words, God in this world, if we we then have to believe that what he says matters. So what Jesus said about God matters, what it says about the future matters, what it says about how we should live, and what it says about how we would be in a right relationship with God. All those become critical, critical issues. Look, there's lots of debates around morality uh, in our community at the moment, and I've had some arguments with people, and and uh, they'll say, so you know, why would you hold a view like that, and and why do you hold that particular moral or ethical stance? And I, some of my answers has often been not an argument about the stance; it's an argument about where you go to get your values, yeah. and it's actually a question about where are you getting your values from. So therefore, if I'm saying I'm staking my values on this book, on these teachings, on that person. I want to be fairly sure that this is accurate, that this is trustworthy, that this is something I can stake my future on. Absolutely. There are a few issues involved in this whole question, though. Let me throw a few at you. First, the number of years that have elapsed since these documents were written. I reckon that's quite an issue. Can I just say, as we go into that, two things to say before we get into that question, uh, uh, Lee, which is just just to remember that the Bible actually contains all sorts of different information. Yes. And so we don't read it as Greg Clark says in the, the episode. He said we get very flat earth about the Bible and we read it exactly the same. And it's important as we discuss this historicity question around Jesus and the Gospels to keep in mind that there's lots of other writing in the Bible, like the apocalyptic writing in Revelation, which will give you a bit of a head spin yes, if, you, yes. if you go to if you go to the wisdom of of uh, of proverbs and if you go to the poetry of psalms so keeping in mind that when we read the bible you got to you got to work out what it is you're reading. Are you reading yeah. poetry? You're reading you're reading wisdom, or you're reading history. So when we get to the New Testament and we get to the Gospels, we are reading history. So therefore, how accurate that history is 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 very important. And then, so how do you work out how accurate something is? And the question is, what's the distance of time between when something actually happened and when it was written down? And then also, what's the distance of time between the first time it was written down and the copy that we now have? Now, when you get those distances closer, the the more accurate we believe that is. And... uh, and John Dixon, has, who's a historian and well-known in Australia, has done a lot of work on this. And so we asked him that question, and here's how he responded. Our most complete records of Alexander the Great come from two to three hundred years after Alexander the Great. But no one doubts this man lived and did, broadly speaking, the things the sources said. Because those sources, two or three hundred years later, are based on earlier sources. And so... 
identifying sources is, is a key part. Even with, say, um, Emperor Tiberius, who ruled when Jesus lived, okay, so about the same time period, um, our best record of his life comes from 80 years later. It's Tacitus, the greatest of ancient Rome's historians. An 80-year time gap between the death of Tiberius and our best source for his life. 80 years. Now, when you compare that with the New Testament, the New Testament looks beautiful. And any Roman historian will tell you this, that they're written incredibly close to the, to the time period. So we have Paul's letters, which date to within 20 years of Jesus. We have the Gospels that are being written in the 30 to 60 year period after Jesus. So even our latest New Testament document, which many say is John's Gospel, written in the mid-90s, that would be 65 years after Jesus. Even our latest New Testament text is still closer in time to Jesus than our best source for the man who ruled the world at the same time. So um, I can understand in our context where if it happened today in New York, we're reading about it already. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes via Twitter, it's exactly at the same time. But in the ancient world, it was very different. People tended to write things down uh, less quickly for the simple reason that only about 10 to 15% of people could read. So writing down only gave you a tiny portion of the market. The best way to record something in the ancient world was memorize and pass on intact. Memorize, pass on intact. That's hard for us to imagine, but that's how we know the ancients thought and acted. And we're just lucky we have those New Testament documents so early. So that's John Dixon, who has a PhD in ancient history in uh, Towards Belief. Yeah, and, and John talks, <clears throat> I need to say, John talked on a number of different topics, which was fantastic, but this is his kind of pet topic yes, yes. and, and what he, that, that he's so very strong on. And I think what people who dismiss the Bible out of hand, dismiss Jesus out of hand, um, are missing the point that this this book has, there's a lot of strength in its historical position. In fact, you know, there's they're just... As John Lennox says in in one of the episodes, you now you have people like like Christ, the late Christopher Hitchens, who at one stage made a sweeping statement like, "Well, even the evidence of Jesus even existing is 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 doubtful." Uh, says who? <laughs> no, it's, it's just crazy. Oh, there's no serious, as John says, no historian anywhere around the world that doubts Jesus actually existed. Now, there's a few bits of the story they might want to change, and it doesn't mean they accept completely. But Jesus, as a person in history is absolutely solid. Let me focus in on the transmission and translation of the Bible. We all know about the dynamic of Chinese whispers. How can we be sure that it was faithfully, accurately transmitted and translated? Look, I think there's a couple of things to say. and One that's key, um, well, there's a few things, but one culturally passing on stories from a, a, a memorize and pass on, as John just said, was well-practiced. It's not now. We're hopeless at it. But then that was their life. Yeah. So just because something was passed on by word of mouth doesn't mean it's inaccurate. Secondly, it was written at a time, and this is really important, it was written at a time when the people that they were writing about uh, were alive. And we know that. We can, t- we, can, we can actually date when these books were written. For instance, you know, Paul wrote to a church at Corinth. We have two of the four letters in the Bible. In the first letter, chapter 15, there's a piece in the first couple of verses of chapter 15 where he talks about who has seen Jesus alive and are still around today. So in other words, you know, if he, if he came out and said, you know, Jesus rose to life again, and there's a whole bunch of other people around saying, well, actually, we can take it to the tomb. He's still there. You know, it's, it's yeah. still a fresh body. 
That doesn't happen because it couldn't. So the the key thing is that we know that they're accurate because they were written at a time where there were lots of people still alive that could prove it didn't happen. So it's not this idea. Many people think that what happened with the church is that a couple of hundred years later, a great prophet like Jesus has said some good stuff. They wanted to kind of up the ante on what on what he stood for, and somebody that a few hundred years later invented the idea that he was resurrected because that would make a great faith. Well, that just doesn't hang true. About th- These are earliest writings, and from the earliest time they said, here's what happened with Jesus. There's also the historical question, Beyond what we've been dealing with so far, one person's history can easily be seen as a, another person's mythology or fairy tale. Who says this historical account is actually history, real events, real time? It's like a bit like watching a car accident. People see it from four different ways and you get four different versions yeah, of what right. happened in the car accident. Yeah. And in some ways you actually get that in the Bible. And in fact, one of the strengths of the, of the gospel stories is that they're not verbatim on each other. They are actually different views of the same event. As as, uh, we even discussed with John, you know, when when people came to the tomb, there were some that said, you know, it was before daybreak, and others that said daybreak, and 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 it looks like a bit of a bit of a contradiction. But he said, in the end, it's from a historical point of view, it's morning. That's what's important. Yeah. And the point to make is that if it was a dodgy manuscript, they'd all agree. Yes. Yes. But there are slight variations and like The that. slight variations actually show the, the personalities involved. As people tell the history as they see it. And look, I, I think what's important is it doesn't read like myth. It's not meant to be myth. Again, we're going to listen here from Amy or Ewing Amindigo, but one of the things that she, one of the points that she makes in the series is that, that people react to the miraculous in the Bible uh, in a very natural way, not like a myth. You know, it's like, so when Jesus is walking on the water, the, the disciples didn't say, oh, we're in the Bible. That's perfectly normal. There you go. That's what we expected. <laughs> what did they say? They're frightened out of their minds yes, because... Yes. They don't have a different mindset because this is a Bible story. You know, when Thomas is told that Jesus rose from the dead, he doesn't say, well, of course, we're in the Bible. People rise from the dead all the time. You know, this is myth. It's it's absolutely fine. No, he says, I don't, I don't believe that. So they react in the way that you would expect them to react. And that's that's a great strength of the Bible story. Tell us who Amy or Ewing is. Amy or Ewing's a, a wonderful lady from the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And uh, she's a, a younger woman, depending. On your own, <laughs> I'm sure she's young. She's younger than me, and um, but uh, she she's a great scholar and a wonderful communicator. And we asked her about the whole question of, you know, if the only place that Jesus exists is in Bible, the writing in the Bible, then you've got to ask some questions about that. So, is there evidence of Jesus in other writers? If you compare the Bible with its closest equivalents that have survived, like the writings of Caesar or Plato or Homer, what you see is that the documents that survive for for those you know can be numbered on your hands the documents that survive for the new testament are number into the thousands and they're still being discovered today so you know some people say around 24 24 5000 um, documents in multiple different languages greek um, latin syriac um, all the known languages of the ancient world very quickly as the new testament was known it was copied and and reproduced and that's a tremendous protection against fraud and forgery because you don't just have two or three uh, manuscripts which could easily have been tampered with you've got thousands and they're 
they're being discovered still today. You know, some have just been discovered in a collection in Turkey that's going to be published in 2013. Some really early fragments of of Mark and Luke. And so you, you've got this overwhelming evidence. And then then you've got, actually got people like uh, writers, uh, Tetatus, Thallus, who's another Roman writer, uh, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, all of which talk about the person of Jesus. And now they don't, they don't talk about it in the same way as the New Testament writers do. But it's just, you, you can see the weight of evidence in timing, in, other, in the number of documents, and who else writes about Jesus. In that piece of the Bible, in looking at the Gospels, I think... Uh, even somebody that comes at it with a, a cynical mindset has to say these are writings that we need to take seriously. You've also spoken with an, another interesting man who combines Christian faith with his specialty as a physicist. Ard Louis is a great guy. Yeah. In fact, Ard Louis, if I can take a, a, a digression, grew up in Gabon because his parents were working there, and that's in Africa, and his first pet was a monkey. Oh, and, classic. and the other thing about Art Louis is, as, he, as we were talking to him, and then explained that um, he started uh, studying physics and pure mathematics early. In fact, he spent time teaching himself. And he looked at me as if that's the thing you do. <laughs> I, I nodded sweetly and smiled and thought in my head, no, I don't remember doing that at all. Actually, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> he also talked about the beauty of pure maths, which missed, I missed that as well. Same but he, great guy, great guy, Lee. And, uh, and so he's, he's thought a lot about physics. He's, thought, he, he's actually on the science episode. But he, he talks about how, how, as a scientist, he reads the Bible. And, and it's that whole thing that we said before that, yes, the history of Jesus means a great deal to him, and that's changed his life. But he, when he reads other parts of the Bible, um, specifically the beginning of Genesis, he doesn't see that as an historical account, and it still speaks to him. And so that's why reading, reading pieces of the Bible and recognizing what they were setting out to do is very important to get the scope of the whole Bible. And if you have God as he is, you would expect some kind of communication. That's what he says. Yes, and and a very important point that that um, you know if, if if God were to communicate to, to humanity, you, you know you would expect that he would he would somehow speak into the lives of people, and you would expect that something like the Bible would be the way he would do it. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Carl. Finally, can we step out of the realm of the historical, the intellectual, and see what difference the Bible has made to people's lives? Is there one person first in the history of the Christian faith? And second, in your own life, who you've encountered, for whom this book has been quite literally life-changing. Look, I, th- I think the the history list is a long one, you know, and, and I think that what, uh, a pat- if if there was such a thing as a patron saint of this series towards belief, it would have to be C.S. Lewis, okay, yeah. because the, lots of the guys quote C.S. Lewis, and obviously a number of the guests come out of Oxford, and they're very close to C.S. Lewis yes. there in Oxford. In fact, we did the interview with Oz Guinness at the Trout Inn, which was the second of C.S. Lewis's two favourite haunts, yeah. the Trout Inn, beautiful. Then C.S. Lewis came to faith in a two-step process. One, one was a, a theistic faith that there is a God, and the second was the was actually believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And in, in, in theistic faith, many people know. I think it was nineteen thirty something. He came to faith, and he he said in his room at Magdalen College, perhaps, and believed that that God was God. And perhaps that night, the most dejected and depressed convert in all of England. 
I think it was winter. That's right. But the whole point about C.S. Lewis's comment there was, it's not a crutch to make my life worthwhile. It's not. It's not something to give give my life purpose. This and 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 the Bible was key in that. This is truth, and if this is true, then it means something to me. I have to change how I function and how I live, and so it was the whole process. Of, of reading the Bible. Uh, somebody that I've had a quite a bit to do with, uh, sort, of, sort of from a more personal story, um, and, but although it's, I use this name because everybody will know it, and that's John Anderson. And John Anderson talked about um, being the, the uh, stand-in prime minister in 9-11 in 2001 because John Howard was actually in the United States. And so here he is by himself in in the kind of uh, you know I think he's rushed down to some you know some basement yes, somewhere yes. you know and, and at that point a thinking you know don't, don't really sign up for this but faith what the Bible said and what he believed in was incredibly important and it became the sort of foundation for that moment as it is the foundation of his life and for millions Carl Fays I love our conversations it's a great series towards belief next week just give us a quick preview. Doesn't science disprove God? This well, is a big question. It is because and, and and next week, please don't ring in <laughs> and ask me questions. Uh, look, the, the thing is, I think the thing that there's a default position in the community, and that is all scientists are atheists. Science has disproved God. Christians have their head in the sand, and that it's embarrassing to be a scientist and a Christian. And what we do is we speak to four scientists, brilliant, brilliant people, uh, a couple of them who have been who taught physics and science for more than 25 years and contest, as John Lennox says, that Christianity actually gave me my discipline, which is a very interesting statement. Yeah. Look forward to it. As always, Carl, thank you so much for coming in, and we'll see you next week. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.